Amen. Thank you, ladies. Let's take our Bibles this morning, please, to turn to John chapter 4. John chapter 4. I was talking with some folks this morning that said, well, he said that he came to Bethel as a child years ago, and he was very good friends with Chuck Simmons. And I said, well, Bob Simmons is here too, his brother, and he said he never met you. And I thought, well, that makes sense because Bob is such a quiet fellow. Nobody knows he's around normally, praise the Lord, but uh, amen. We had some good memories of our brother Simmons. Brother Chuck was a good fella, and we, we miss him around here, but it was good to reminisce this morning. And uh, I was reading something else this week about uh, Queen Victoria. Of course, the Bishop of Canterbury with the Anglican Church came to her one day and was wondering what she thought about the return of Jesus Christ. And she said, oh, I look very much forward to it. She says, these crowns of Great Britain and India that I wear rightfully belong to him. And if he would be so good as to return in my lifetime, I'd like to hand them to him personally. What a great testimony to understand that we are just stewards of what God has given us and placed in our hands. And we can learn a lot from, from history and from great people that love the Lord. And so I encourage you, read about her life. And I was encouraged this week to read of her faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. John chapter 4 this morning. John chapter 4. We're looking at portraits of Christ. And this morning I want to talk about Jesus, our hope. Jesus, our hope. Verse 46, the Bible says, So Jesus came again into Cana of Galilee, where he made the water wine. And there was a certain nobleman whose son was sick at Capernaum. When he heard that Jesus was come out of Judea into Galilee, he went unto him and besought him that he would come down and heal his son. For he was at the point of death. Then said Jesus unto him, Except ye see signs and wonders, ye will not believe. The nobleman saith unto him, Sir, come down ere my child die. Jesus saith unto him, Go thy way, thy son liveth. And the man believed the word that Jesus had spoken unto him, and he went his way. And as he was now going down, his servants met him and told him, saying, Thy son liveth. Then inquired he of them the hour when he began to amend, and they said unto him, Yesterday at the seventh hour the fever left him. So the father knew that it was at that same hour in the which Jesus said unto him, Thy son liveth, and himself believed in his whole house. This is again the second miracle that Jesus did when he was come out of Judea into Galilee. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you, Lord, for Jesus Christ. We thank you for your son that paid the price for our sins, and not only that we might have life, but that we might have abundant life. We thank you, Lord, that he is our hope. We pray, Lord, this morning as we take another snapshot or a portrait of the Lord Jesus Christ out of the book of John this morning that you would encourage our hearts and help us, Lord, to draw closer to you. Our desired goal this morning is to help each one of us understand that we must put our hope in him alone. There's nothing else on this earth that can offer us what Jesus offers. So I pray, Lord, that you'd help us to understand the Scripture and apply it to our hearts and lives. I need your help, and I ask for your Spirit's filling. And Father, we'll thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. I want just to mention quickly this morning, a verse has been bothering, well, not bothering me, picking on me all week. You ever get one of those verses that just kind of natters at you a little bit? That's a good thing, and uh, we praise the Lord for it. In Hebrews chapter 6, Paul was talking in Hebrews chapter 5, about how Christ was better than Abraham. 
And now as he comes into Hebrews chapter 6, he says, you know, let's, let's start moving forward. He says, we're leaving the principles of the doctrine of Christ. Let us go on to perfection, not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God, of the doctrine of baptisms and of laying out of hands and of resurrection of the dead and eternal judgment. In other words, Paul is saying, I've, I've taught you many things, but it's time to start growing. It's time to start moving forward. And he says, we'll come back to those things in verse 3. And this is the verse that's been picking on me. And I believe the Lord would have me preach on it tonight. So I'm just giving you a little, uh, I don't know, an advertisement, I guess. It says this, and this will we do if God permit. You know, the Apostle Paul didn't do anything unless the Lord permitted it. The Holy Spirit guided every step he took. There were times that Paul burst forward with great fervor and energy, and yet the Bible says the Holy Spirit forbade me to go and changed his direction completely. And so we want to look tonight a little bit at that, how the steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord, but also the stops as well. God places the Holy Spirit in our life for a purpose. And so if you'll pray with me, and we'll have a great service tonight in the house of the Lord. John chapter 4. John chapter 4, the Bible says, So Jesus came again into Cana of Galilee, where he made the water wine. And there was a certain nobleman whose son was sick at Capernaum. And when he heard that Jesus was come, out of Judea into Galilee, he went unto him and besought him that he would come down and heal his son, for he was at the point of death. And Jesus came. What a wonderful change takes place in our lives when Jesus inserts himself. I hope and I pray that you never grow weary of this series, The Portraits of Christ. We are already beginning the ninth message this morning on our Portraits of Christ series in the book of John, and we're not yet done John chapter 4. The book of John is just full of these pictures that we will look at over the next several weeks and months, and I believe it will be a help to us as we just concentrate and focus on Jesus. We have taken some chapters later on and explained some things, but there's much more to cover, the closing verse in the book of John says this, And there are also many other things which Jesus did, the which, if they should be written, everyone, I suppose not even the world itself, could contain the books that should be written. Amen. We're concerned only with the book. The Bible is a book of hope. The, Lord, the author John tells us there's so much more about Jesus that's not written in the book. But we must just concentrate on the book. The Bible is a book of hope, and giving us Jesus is the only hope of the world. We have promises in the book that give us hope. We have a road map in the Bible that gives us hope. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. We have precepts which give us hope. We have the Psalms which give us hope. But greatest of all, it tells us about Jesus, who is the hope and the light of the world. 1 Timothy chapter 1, Paul writes to a young preacher boy, and he says, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the commandment of God, our Savior, and, Lord Je- and the Lord Jesus Christ, which is our hope. He doesn't say he is a hope. He doesn't say we can turn to this list and find Jesus on there as one of the hopes that we have in this life. He says, Jesus is our hope. And Paul writes again in Colossians chapter 1, he says, To whom God would make known what is the riches of the glory of the mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Jesus is our hope. In John chapter 4, we read of a nobleman. One who, no doubt for many years, had pinned his hopes to his prestige, his power, his money, his resources. 
He had the best education provided him. He likely had one of the best jobs around. No doubt, because of his privileged position, he was paired with a pretty wife from another noble family who gave him children in a perfect family. The word nobleman indicates that he was a ruler, perhaps even of royal blood. If he needed anything, it was at his fingertips. Every concern he had could be solved with his money or with his resources. If his roof leaked, he had a guy who could fix it. If he was hungry, he could ask somebody to prepare him some food. If he needed water, he had someone who could dig a well. If he was sick, he could afford the best doctors. But one day something came up that he could not fix. That money could not solve. That his resources had been vanquished. There was nothing left he could do. Simply his son was dying. He was without hope. There's no doubt in my mind that while his son had this fever and he lay dying, he called the best doctors to come visit. But they could only shake their heads and offer condolences. Maybe he called the Pharisees or the rabbi of his local synagogue, but their prayers seemingly went unanswered. Maybe because he was a nobleman, he had enough clout that he could get the high priest to come down the trip from Jerusalem to Cana or to Capernaum and there visit with his son and maybe pray with him. But after they had all left, his son was still dying. Nothing had changed. The situation seemed hopeless. Humanly speaking, there was nothing left to do except wait for his boy to die. There was no one left to turn to. No doctor had an answer. No religious leader seemed to help. The family remedies that they were using could not bring a cure. What was there left to do? You know, so many put their hope in the things of this world. I'm here to tell you and warn you today that if your hope is in the things of this world, God will strip those things from you that you might learn to trust in Him. That you might learn to put your faith in Him. Our hope is often in a doctor. It's in the financial advisor. It's in our employer, the weatherman, the therapist, or the pop psychologist. We listen intently to the politician or the prosperity preacher or the talk show host or teacher. We invest our money and time looking for answers in books, advice columns, group meetings, and seminars. Some of these, and maybe even all of these, offer some help but they do not offer hope. They are just tools that rightly, if they are used properly, should point us to Jesus Christ, our only hope in this world. The Bible says that Jesus is the light of the world. He is the resurrection and the life. He is the one who walked on the water and called Lazarus forth from the grave. He is not just a doctor, but he is the great physician. He is not just a financial advisor, but he owns the cattle on a thousand hills. He is not just a religious leader, but he is the savior of the world. He is not just the God of the living, but he is the resurrection and the life. That's where we pin our hopes. There are some today here, I'm sure, in this room, that because God has blessed you so richly, you don't have a concern in this world. If a situation were to arise tomorrow, it wouldn't concern you a whole lot because you've got the money to take care of it. You're just a phone call away from the doctor's office. You have everything at your fingertips like the nobleman. The truth be told, as noble as he was, we are likely far better off in our level of prosperity than this nobleman was in the Bible living in Capernaum. 
We have technology today that, that can look into the womb of a mother and see the problems that a baby might be facing even before it's born. We seem to have the answers for every problem of life as it comes up. And so, for some reason, we have used that to take the place of God. As we sang a few moments ago, though, we must be reminded our hope is in the Lord. He is the author and the finisher of our faith, not the doctor. He is the one that walked on the water and can perform miracles, can raise the dead. He's the one that can supply for our every need according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. He is the one that has promised, I will never leave you nor forsake you. He is the one that is constantly by our side. He is our hope. You say, but you don't understand, preacher, I'm lonely. Not if you have Jesus. He will never leave you. He is dwelling, as we read in Colossians 1.27, it is the hope of the Lord that He is dwelling in your hearts. His presence is ever with you. And He will never leave you. I want you to encourage you today, if I could, to answer this simple question. How can we truly rest in the hope of Jesus Christ? How can we rest in the hope of Jesus Christ. There's just some simple things that we'll look at very quickly this morning from John chapter 4. The first thing I want you to notice about this man as he had come to the very end of his resources. There was nothing left that anybody else could do but Jesus Christ. I, I've come to learn that that is the habit of most of us is that we turn to the Lord Jesus Christ when we've exhausted all other resources. He ought to be the first call that we make. He ought to be the first prayer that, that we offer up is to the Lord Jesus Christ for He is our hope. We ought to go to Him first. But so many today try to solve their problems. They'll, like I was saying in my introduction, they'll go to the financial counselor. They'll go to Oprah Winfrey. They'll go to a self-help program. They'll... Go to a pop psychologist, but all we need to do is turn to the book. And God will help us. I'm not against a doctor. I'm not suggesting that you go and empty your bank accounts and give all your money away. I'm not suggesting that you stop going to a doctor or seeking godly counsel. I'm saying that we ought to treat those things as tools and not solutions. They are helps and not hope. They are all blessings from God. They are not meant to replace Him. The Bible says in John chapter 4 and verse 47, when he heard that Jesus was come out of Judea and to Galilee, he went unto him and besought him that he would come down and heal his son. Look what it says now. For he was at the point of death. There was nothing left. There was nothing this man or his son could do but to trust in Jesus Christ. This is one of the great themes that we find throughout the Bible that we must trust only in Jesus. We need to stop trusting in ourselves or our religion or our works. We need to understand that there's no hope in that of getting to heaven. We, we, at least not a Bible hope. We must put our faith in Jesus Christ. The Bible says this, faith is the evidence of things hoped for. To have Bible faith means that we will have hope because we've put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ. There's evidence. It's tangible. It's real. We know that heaven is there. Because our hope is in the Lord. Some of us don't have a concern in the world because we have the solution at our fingertips. Don't mistake God's blessing for God desiring you to put your trust in those blessings. 
to put the trust in the resources, to put the trust in the job. Everything could be gone tomorrow. Just a couple weeks ago, we read of a terrible earthquake in Nepal. And I've seen, I've been, I've been watching and reading and listening. Do you know that there's some places in Nepal that are just absolutely gorgeous? They have some beautiful scenery and they have beautiful mountains there. Of course, Mount Everest is there. And they have, they have we, we don't often think like this, but they have modern things like we do. They had skyscrapers and beautiful things. Now, there is a lot of poverty there, but there are places that they had beautiful skyscrapers and great architecture, and the people have worked very hard to develop their country. And it was gone in just a moment. It was gone. The Woon family looks at it and says, what a great tragedy, but they say, what a great time for ministry. What a great time to reach people with for Jesus Christ because now the only hope that they have is in the Lord. We have been so blessed, but we must not put our hopes in the things that we possess. We must learn to trust Him. Hope is just simply believing in God. I want you to notice it says in John chapter 4 and verse 50, Then Jesus saith unto him, Go thy way. Thy son liveth, and the man believed the word that Jesus had spoken unto him. And look at those next four words, very important. He went his way. You know, if you're a parent here this morning, you'll understand this. This man, the Bible says, believed the words of the Lord Jesus Christ, and I know that he had hope. You say, how, how do you know he had hope? Because he went his way. He went his way. How many of you know today that if you're a parent... And you don't have hope, you don't leave off begging for the life of your child. You don't stop pleading and praying and weeping. And right to the end, you, you beg and you plead. And I can't believe for a moment this nobleman would have got up and went home unless he believed in the words of the Lord Jesus Christ and had hope that his son would be okay. That's what hope is, is just believing God. Believing God is in control. Believe in God will, will come through in the darkest hour. Romans chapter 8 reminds us that He works all things together for good. It may not always be the answer we are looking for, but God it knows what is best for our lives. When I went to Africa in 2007, we went to a pastor's conference there, and, and one of the men got up and preached, and his message was just simply this. Believing God is not always easy, but it's always right. And he set out to prove from the Word of God, from Genesis, I mean, right, he took stories from almost every book of the Bible, and he, said, and, he, and he would read that little Bible story, and he didn't even preach. All he said, he just read the Bible, and he'd look up, and he says, believe in God isn't easy, but it's always right. He read about Abraham, how he was taking Isaac up the mountain to sacrifice him, and he says, oh, believe in God isn't easy, but it's always right. That's what hope is, just believing God, just trusting in Him. Do you know that God never changes? The end of Hebrews chapter 6, it's talking about the covenants of God, and it says, by two immutable things. Those two immutable things, the word immutable means He never changes. That we can trust in God and we can have hope in Him because He never changes. You say, oh, that book isn't relevant. That, that promise that I go to prepare a place for you, and if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there you may be also. That's not relevant today, 2,000 years ago. It is if you have a God that doesn't change. If you have the Christ that made that promise still on the throne of heaven today, it never changes. It never changes. 
we can trust in God and put our hope in Him simply by believing. I heard a song a few years ago from Casey's College, Pensacola, had a little CDO, and I was listening to it. And one of the songs was kind of a lighthearted little song, and it was kind of fun to listen to. But it just the chorus just said this, you can't stand on the promises if you don't know what they are. And the whole song said you got to get into the book. Get into the Bible. I was teasing the kids down at Vancouver in, in March there when I was preaching Sunday morning, and that Sunday night the kids were all sitting on the front row. And uh, before the service started, I went down to the front row and I said, hey, what are you guys doing down here? That, I mean, all these kids, you don't normally see the kids on the front row. You know what I'm saying? And they were all lined right up and I thought, well, they must be doing something special. So I said, what are you guys doing tonight? And they said, they said we're singing. I said, the all group of you are singing. They said, we're singing. I said, good. I said, what are you singing? They said, it's in the book. I thought they were being smart with me. I said, well, just tell me the name of the song. I don't want to have to look it up in the book. They said, that's what it's called. It's in the book. I said, oh, okay. I said, well, tell me about the song. They, so they started reading the words or saying the words to me, and a little girl was here, and the boy was saying the words, and she was singing the words, and, and the song just simply said, everything you need to know, it's in the book. Every problem that you have, it's in the book. Every solution you're looking for, it's in the book. Just get into the Word of God. And why? Because it tells us about our hope, Jesus Christ. Listen, I, um, you, you can ask my kids. We try. We try our best to be consistent. But there are times I'll, I'll understand that my kids will come and say, Dad, can we go and do this? Well, I didn't realize they'd already asked their mom. Didn't get an answer they liked. You know? And then later on, or sometimes they'll come and they'll say, Dad, can we do this? And I'll say, okay, well, I, I guess that'd be okay. And then a couple hours later, I got thinking about that and go, hmm, I don't know about that. I don't know if that's a good idea, you know? When I was a boy, I could do that, but I, I mean... I never asked my parents, and uh, you know, and, and I got thinking, oh boy, I don't know if that's a good idea, and so we'd have to go back and say, listen kids, you know, I don't know if that's best for you, I'm sorry, I spoke maybe too quickly, I didn't think it through, I, maybe we better rethink this thing and, and consider this, you never have to worry about that with God, you never have to worry about that with Jesus Christ, I was, Pastor Connor just happened to send me this article this morning, and I was reading it just before I came out. A lady by the name of Marie Diane Dodd, husband died. And when the sad time came to say goodbye to her late husband, she knew a traditional service in a church wasn't the right fit. So she arranged a ceremony at the family's lakeside summer home outside of Ottawa. It featured John's favorite memories and music, including a guitar riff by Jimi Hendrix. There were happy photos from summer holidays and sentimental recollections from friends and children about a life well lived before it was tragically cut short by liver disease brought on by hepatitis C. What wasn't part of the ceremony was any mention of God or religion. I think John would have loved this because he wasn't a religious man, said Marie Diane Dodd. This was just the right fit for him. It was something he could feel comfortable with. Simon Parcher, an officiant with Humanist Canada, performed the service and says in an increasingly secular world, God is being pushed aside even in death. We don't tell people that they'll have life after they die in heaven, but we do tell them that they will continue in memories which they will. I'd like to know what Bible he read that in. Where are people getting their ideas? We talk to people all the time. Well, do you believe that, that heaven is your home? Oh, yes, I believe heaven's my home. Why? Why? Well, because that's where everybody goes when they die. 
Where are you getting those ideas? There would be no idea of heaven at all if it weren't for the Bible. There'd be no concept whatsoever of an afterlife if it weren't for the blessed words of this book. There's no Father up in the sky taking care of things for us, he adds. We have to take care of ourselves. The words he chose during the service were designed to bring comfort. How can you get comfort out of that? But not to suggest there's anything more beyond human existence. (laughs) Life exists in the time period between birth and death, Parcher told those at the cottage that day. Life's significance lies in the experiences and satisfactions in that span of time. Its permanence lies in the memories of those who knew us. He didn't believe in the afterlife. I do. And when the times are toughest, such as for the Dodd family, they need to see comfort and spirituality is especially hard to shake. At the conclusion of the godless ceremony at the cottage that day, both Marie Diane and her 24-year-old son James read poignant poems. You are my guardian angel. I don't want to say goodbye, but we will meet again one day, she said of her late husband. He didn't believe in the afterlife. I do. I hope he'll be with me till my dying day, Marie Diane told us. Simon Parcher, the humanist officiant, said he understands that some people are comforted by such thoughts, even if atheists reject them. But if it makes those grieving feel better, we just let it go. Listen, friend, there's no hope in that. I'm so glad for a book that gives me hope. I'm thankful for a Savior that said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. I'm thankful for a Savior that, that though I may have to suffer in this lifetime, I know I'll be delivered from this body of death and I'll stand face to face in the presence of my Savior, Jesus Christ, and I will bow my face before Him and right beside me will be Queen Victoria and the kings of this earth and they too will bow the knee before the King of kings and the Lord of lords and we will sing glory to His name. Praise the Lord. Man, I can't imagine having no hope. I told you I preached one time. The title of my message was called The Hallway of a Funeral Home. On one side, a dear saint of God, Madeline Patterson, had passed away and went home to be with the Lord. She was saved at the People's Church in Toronto under Oswald J. Smith. Her husband ran his his street ministries and he'd stand out there in the street in front of the homeless shelter that they ran and he would play his accordion and he'd preach right there on the street and people would come and and he'd preach to the homeless people in there and he'd preach to them inside while they were feeding them at night and they'd work. And just, just a great godly couple, loved the Lord. When she passed away, people would come in and they'd say, oh, she was such a beautiful lady. What a great lady. She, she, I mean, she grew up during the Depression. And we would, have, we would have a church banquet, you know, and she says, oh, Pastor, I've got some nice table favors I've made. And I, I mean, they were cat food cans. And, they were, and she would spray paint them gold, and she'd make something beautiful out of it. She didn't waste a thing, but she gave everything she had to the Lord Jesus Christ. And we, we went in there, and there was just such a peace, and people were talking and laughing and sharing the good memories, and we were just having a good time. And right across the hall was an 18-year-old girl that ex- uh, committed suicide. And literally, people were walking up to the casket and screaming at the corpse, Why did you do this? They were hateful and angry and angry at God. And crying and weeping and wailing. That's the difference between a child of God and somebody who knows not Christ. The difference on that hallway that day was the peace and the comfort of the Holy Spirit for believers who were resting in the hope of Jesus Christ, knowing that this dear saint of God had stepped into the presence of her Savior and another group on the other side of the hall that knew nothing about Jesus Christ and did not know 
where this young lady was that night. Was she in hell? Was she in heaven? They had no clue. There's a hope that is to be found in the Scriptures. And the hope is just to simply believe the Bible. There are so many today that question the Scripture. So how can we know that this Bible is true? How can we know that this book... Listen, I'm going to tell you something, friends. You're not going to know it's true until the book gets in you. Until God starts working in your life and convincing you of its truths. Until you put your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, the Bible says the carnal mind is at enmity with God. If you're out of the covenant of God, if you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior today, you won't understand this. You won't understand the comfort and the peace of the Holy Spirit. You won't know His presence, but when you trust Him today, it is a decision that you will never regret because Jesus Christ will insert Himself into your heart. His Holy Spirit will take residence in your life and He will seal you unto the day of redemption and you will have the peace of walking and talking with Jesus Christ on a daily basis. His Word will become new to you. His mercies will be new every morning. The sacrifice on the Christ of Calvary will be something that will bring a tear to your eye and a lump to your throat as you give glory and praise to the Savior that died for you. But you'll not know it unless you put your hope in Christ. Do you know Him today? This man came to Jesus Christ at the very end of his rope. He said, what can I do? What can I do? There's nothing left. Years ago, there was a young lady by the name of Renee Bishop went to the church that we attended in Springfield, Missouri, Hillside Baptist Church. She was 19 years old, and her body was full of cancer. She had a, a childhood sweetheart, DeWitt Pfeiffer. And DeWitt had, and her had been just sweethearts since they were about 10 years old. I mean, they'd just gone to school together, and uh, they had grown up, and they were 19 years old, and they were engaged to be married. And he was hoping to marry her before she died, just to fulfill her dreams. It got very close to the time, and it was obvious that the Lord had decided to take her home. And Do you understand that when somebody is sick, we, we hope that the Lord will heal them, but there comes a point where you see the Lord's will, and you understand what the Lord's will is, and we, we just trust in that. So we were having a, a bonfire out at somebody's house one night, and we were sitting around enjoying the bonfire and they started singing some songs and they started sharing some testimonies. And they got to Renee and they said, Renee, why don't you share a testimony? And she said, Psalm chapter 27, verse 14. I had fainted unless I believed to see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. She says, you know, this has been a trial. This cancer has been terrible. And she says, but I've not fainted yet. She says, I believe I'll see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. God doesn't always heal us here. But she woke up a few days later in heaven with no cancer. Free from this body of pain. Hey, that's hope. Knowing that Jesus Christ can deliver us, whether here or in the land of the living. Put your faith in Him. Trust in the Word of God. Notice what the man said, Sir, Jesus, I don't know if Jesus was rebuking him or testing him. But the Bible says in verse 46, Jesus came again in the Cana of Galilee where he made the water wine. And there was a certain nobleman whose son was sick at Capernaum. When he heard that Jesus was come out of Judea into Galilee, he went unto him and besought him that he would come down and heal his son for he was at the point of death. And I believe that Jesus is testing him when he says, then said Jesus unto him, except ye see signs and wonders, ye will not believe. And the nobleman wanted him to know, I already believe. He said this, 
Sir, come down ere my child die. The man was saying, I believe. I believe if you don't come, my son's going to die. I believe if you do come, he will live. I believe, God. And Jesus responded to him, Go thy way, verse 50, thy son liveth. And the man believed the word that Jesus had spoken unto him, and he went his way. I want you to notice that if we're going to have hope in the Lord, we need to be prepared to accept any answer God gives. I don't know about you, but the man sought out Jesus because his son lay at the point of death, the Bible says. Tanner, come here. Can you be Jesus for a moment? All right. And the man just comes and he's begging Jesus, please, my son's going to die. Please come. And Jesus says, oh, you're looking for signs again. You're looking for miracles. You're not going to believe me unless I go and do this miracle. The man believed. Jesus was testing him. He says, sir, if you don't come, he's going to die. Now, what was the answer that the man was looking for? He was looking for Jesus to take him and come with him down to his house and minister to him. I've got to be honest with you. If I had to leave that place, boy, it's going to take a lot of faith because I've got to say, okay, I'm going to believe you. And I have to go and I've got to make that walk all the way home to another city. And the whole time I've got to think, boy, I wish Jesus had come. I wish he'd just come back with me. I wish I, wish I, could just, I, I wish I could just grab onto him and I could just make sure my son's healed before I let him go. I, 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 how, how, how would you respond? Wouldn't, wouldn't you much rather? The man said, come down with me. Come back to my house. You may be seated, Tanner. Please, I, I just need you to come and see my son. I know you can heal him. You're the great. Please come and take care of this. And, and i got to be honest with you, as a dad, I think I would want to see Jesus. You come with me, and, and, you, and I'm not letting you go until you get there. If I went to get a doctor, I'd do the same thing. If I was looking for some other help, if there was a fire, I'd want to make sure that the fire engine got there. I'd be out the road flagging them down saying, hey, here's where the problem is. Turn in here. We need your help. But Jesus doesn't always give us the answer we're looking for. He says, would you come to my house? Jesus didn't say no, but he didn't do it either. He says, just go home. Everything's okay. Your son liveth. Well, the man had to take a great step of faith then, didn't he? Boy, sometimes we, we pray and we pray and we beg God and we plead God, plead with God to do something great in our lives. Let me say this. God had something better for the man. God had something better for the man. The servants came looking for him. The fever broke and he started, the boy started feeling better and, and I believe he instantly felt better and he was able to get up and run around and play because Jesus had touched his life. And so those servants said, well, we better go find the, our, our master. We better tell him his son's okay because he's, he's out there somewhere looking for Jesus. So they found him on the way back and they chased him down and they said, hey, thy son liveth. His fever has broke. The man maybe smiled a little bit. He said, what time did that happen? They said, yesterday, about the seventh hour. And he knew right away that's what Jesus did. See, Jesus doesn't answer always on our timetable. 
Mary and Martha complained to Jesus, if you had to come, our brother would still be alive. Jesus said, I'm glad that he died to his disciples, that you might see the mighty power of God. Somebody sang a song, even though he was four days late, he was right on time. As Jesus stood before the tomb of Lazarus, he said, Lazarus, come forth. And he came forth out of that grave. He said, loose him and let him free. They took off his grave clothes and he lived. That's not the answer that Mary and Martha wanted. They had sent for Jesus while he was still alive. They were looking for something different. And maybe you can go back in your life and you can recount a time where, where God has done something and you've prayed and you've pleaded with God and the answer didn't come like you thought, but when it did come, it was something better. I remember the time that my wife was expecting Brendan. We didn't even know she was expecting him at the time and she went through a, a, a light and, uh, and hit another car and totaled our car. We'd only owned it for three months. Matter of fact, when we got married, she had owned a little Chevy S10 pickup truck. It was almost brand new. And when we came up to Canada, you think the exchange rate's bad now. It was a dollar Canadian was 66 cents U.S. That means a dollar fifty for every dollar American. It was incredible. So we had a brand new truck with a truck payment down in Oklahoma, and we were sending money down there, and it was fifty cents on the dollar every time we made a payment. We said, how are we going to get out of this thing? So we went to Aiken Motors, and he says, well, here's what you need to do. He says, get you a new car here, trade that car in. He says, but it has to be a newer one because you have to get the time to be able to pay all that off. So we did. We did what he, it was Ken Case. He was a preacher, thought he was helping, and he was helping us. So we were able to get a, a, another car, get rid of that truck payment, and we were able to pay that thing and, and take care of it. Three months later, she totaled it. Well, here's the thing. Aikens was a GM dealership, and this was a little Dodge car. And because it was a Dodge car sitting on a GM lot, they were blowing it out as cheap as they could blow it out. When the company came back and they said, well, here's how much we're going to give you for the car, do you know that it was $3,000 more than what we paid for it? I said, there must be some mistake. And I, I was talking to Ken Case, and he says, no, he says, we, we got that car in on a good deal, and we gave it to you as cheap as we could because you're a preacher, and we wanted it off our lot. We don't want Dodges. We don't want to advertise for Dodge. So he says, we wanted it off our lot. So he says, here you go. Three, it paid both the car off and the truck off that was remaining on it. Praise the Lord. We were out of debt. The whole time that car was in the shop, we, we were praying, and I was praying, God, I pray, oh, when that guy comes to look at that car, please let them be able to fix that car. We just got that car. We don't know what to do. We know how insurance works. They'll never pay us what it's worth. We can't afford to go get another car. Lord, please fix that car. Then the guy calls and he says, we can't fix your car. I went, oh, Lord, we've been praying. But he says, here's what we're going to pay you. And I went, oh, thank you, Lord. I guess that'll be Okay. Your, your plan is better than my plan. Amen? Hey, his ways are not our ways. God took care of all of that for us. And it wasn't the way I asked for it. So often we pray. We say, God, if you'll just do this, it'll fix my life. God, if you'll just give me a little bit of money. God, if you'll do this. Hey, the Bible says in Romans chapter 8, the Holy Spirit is searching our hearts, for we know not how we ought to pray. But he is interceding on our behalf. He knows what the needs of your life are. He'll take care of you. Listen, you want to know what real hope is? Put your faith and trust in Him. 
The Bible says this in Psalms. I'll read you several verses very quickly. Be of good courage, and he shall strengthen your heart, all ye that hope in the Lord. Behold, the eye of the Lord is upon them that fear him, upon them that hope in his mercy. For in thee, O Lord, do I hope. Thou wilt hear, O Lord, my God. And now, Lord, what wait I for? My hope is in thee. Turn to Hebrews chapter 6 as we close this morning. Hebrews chapter 6. On Wednesday nights, we are going through the book of Hebrews, and so I've been spending a lot of time there, in Hebrews 5 and 6 especially this week. That's what has provoked me for tonight a little bit, and this will we, and this will we do if God permit. But understanding the context here that Christ is better. If I only have five minutes to teach you about the book of Hebrews, I would just say this, Christ is better. He's better than Abraham, who trusted God by faith and left the earth. The Chaldeans is the father of the Jewish race. He is better than Moses, who brought the law. He is better than angels, who were the testament to the law. He is better than Melchizedek, the great high priest, who was also a prophet and king. He is greater than all of these. And then the Bible says in verse 18 of chapter 6, that by two immutable things in which it was impossible for God to lie, we might have a strong consolation who have fled for refuge to lay hold upon the hope set before us. And then Paul, as just a little bit of an aside here, he's talking very methodically about the Testaments and the New Testament and the blood of Christ and, and why it's important that we get past these foundations and start building. And he says that there's some things that are unchangeable, that are immutable. It is impossible for God to lie. So we can trust That he died for our sins. We can trust in the blood of Christ. And we have a strong consolation in that. Who have fled for refuge to lay hold upon the hope set before us. And then as an aside he says this. Which hope we have as an anchor of the soul. Both sure and steadfast. Which entereth into that uh, that within the veil. Whither the forerunner is for us entered in. Or entered even Jesus made a high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Look at verse 19 with me again. Talking about the Lord Jesus Christ and our Father, it says, which hope we have as an anchor of the soul. Both sure, the word sure means it will never change. It's something that is immutable. Something that changes not. Something that you can always, always, always trust in. Well, you know, I, it's hard sometimes. I went to the... I went to the Walmart to get an oil change a while ago. And I walked up to the door and it said, we're open at 8 a.m. So I was going to drop my car off there and have uh, Brother Baker pick me up on the way in and just leave it there till lunchtime. And I get there at 8 a.m. and I start pulling on the doors and they're locked. So I, I went back a little bit later, about 9 o'clock, and I said, what time do you open? They said, 9. I said, 9. And she says, yeah. She, I said, well, the sign outside says 8. Oh, does it? I said, yeah, and the sign here says 9.30. Oh, there's a lot of things you can't trust anymore. I went there one day and I had to pick up something, so I got in the side door. It was something for my car, and it said that they were open till 5 o'clock. And so I, I went in, and the ladies, I could see her in there, but the door wouldn't open. And I just thought the electric guy wasn't working. You know, it's an automatic door. And so I knocked on the door, and she opened it. She said, Can I help you? 
I said, yeah. I said, I just need to pick something up. She goes, oh, we're closed. I said, well, it's 4.15. I said, it says you're open till 5. Well, she says, yeah, but I have to be off the clock at 5. I thought, you're closed now, and you don't even know it. If you're not serving customers, you're closed. I didn't say that, but... I mean, we can't trust in things because times keep changing and schedules change and people are not dependable. But you can trust in this. My hope is in the Lord and He is steadfast and sure. It's an anchor of the soul. The word sure means it won't change. Hey, if you go to John chapter 6 tonight and look at, or John chapter 14 and look at verse 6, it's going to be the same tomorrow. It's going to be the same next week. Now, the world is trying to change the Bible. But God hasn't. He still says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life, and no man comes to the Father but by me. He still says in John 14, 3, I go to prepare a place, and if I go to prepare a place, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there you may be also. It never changes. It's sure. And the Bible, the word steadfast means it's something you can anchor to. It's something you can hold on to. You're not going to slide around in the storms. There's another passage of Scripture that talks about being blown about by every wind of doctrine. You won't have to if you get anchored in the Word. If you get anchored in the hope that is Jesus Christ. He is the anchor of the soul, both sure and steadfast. Listen, friends, the true measure of our faith is not being able to trust God in the good times, but it's when things are bad. When things are difficult, when the storms are the darkest, knowing that we still have hope, knowing that God is still working all things together for good. This man from Capernaum, this noble man learned one thing. I can have my hope in Jesus. I wonder how long he had been asking for help. I wonder how many doctors he saw, how many religious leaders prayed, and how many other people offered home remedies. But finally he made the trip to meet Jesus. What a lesson to be learned. That's where our hope is. Father, we thank you for your word, and we thank you for your love for us. Help us, Lord, each one of us today to put our hope in Jesus Christ and him alone. Maybe there's some here today that are struggling with some things in their life, and I, I don't mean to tell anybody they shouldn't go to the doctor. Jesus was a doctor. Luke was a doctor. We thank you, Lord, that you have given us doctors. I don't mean today that, that somebody should go and throw all their savings away and say that God will supply for me today and tomorrow. God already has supplied for them. That's why they have the money. But Lord, we must not trust in those things. We must trust in you. Those are just tools that you've used and blessed us with that we might have the help that we need in times of trouble. But Father, may our first, first, first resource be turning to you. Knowing that you are our hope. May we have peace in knowing that when the doctor gives news, you have a solution, here or in heaven. Father, when we lose our job, when we lose our, our, our nest egg, Lord, that you own the cattle on a thousand hills, and that you have prepared for that very moment, because you can see the end from the beginning. Father, help us to walk with you and trust in you, and we'll thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand to our feet with our heads bowed and our eyes closed this morning. Let me ask you this, friend. Is Jesus your hope? I think we all nod the head and answer, oh yeah, that Jesus is our hope. Let me take it a step further. Have you put your hopes in anything else? 
Have you put your hopes in anything else? Several years ago, a friend of mine was talking about his retirement, and so rather than, rather than invest his money or whatever, he went out and bought a big house. I mean, it was like 400 and some odd thousand dollars in a growing community, and he said, you know, one day this house will be worth a million dollars, and that's my retirement. Problem is, is he lost his job. And he couldn't afford that house anymore, and he had to sell it at much less than what it was worth. And what he thought would be his retirement was gone. You have hope in something else? That's not wrong to have those things. It's not wrong to plan ahead. But when your hope is in the things that rust and corrupt and fade away, one day you'll be gravely disappointed when it's gone. But if your hope is in Jesus Christ, you'll never be disappointed. And you can rest in the fact knowing that Christ is there to take care of you. If God has spoke to your heart, this altar is open. Ask yourself the question, am I putting my hope in anything but Jesus? If you are, why don't you ask God to help you today to trust in Him and in Him alone?